Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. My next guest was an NBC page in the mid 80s. He got a chance to watch old blue eyes Frank Sinatra rehearse before a big show. He once had Theo from The Cosby Show do a little covert surveillance on him. He was asked by Keith Richards to assist him in getting a picture just right. He was tasked by a Letterman producer to ask Sam Kinison to go quietly from the building. And he watched Robin Williams play Let's Press Every Elevator Button and See What Happens. Our next guest has more on those stories and will share a bunch of other incredible tales. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Lee Nelson. Woohoo! <laughs> Woohoo! Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Lee, <laughs> thanks so much for being a guest. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, so you were, you were a page in the mid in the mid 80s uh it was wow that's great um so tell me i guess you have so many cool stories to tell i guess why don't we kick it off uh i guess with the legend himself mr frank sinatra what was that all about it was really crazy you know it, it, it's funny as the years goes by as i'm sure maybe you feel maybe not you you forget a lot of the details but he had a big concert coming up i don't know if it was a carnegie hall or somewhere else in new york but but he was rehearsing in NBC, mm. probably every night for a week or more. And um, of course, you know how pages, even though you were low on the totem pole, everybody came to you to get access to things. And everybody knew that uh, he was rehearsing and everybody wanted to sneak in the door and hear it. Um, I went probably four or five times and just stood there with you know some higher up from NBC who wanted to sneak in and just watch him record or, or rehearse. It was unbelievable. It was it was amazing. And, it, you know, he was getting older at that point, but he still had it. Uh, he really still had it. Wow. So was that, do you know where he was rehearsing? What studio? I, you know, it, um, it wasn't a studio that I was familiar with using. I remember that. I, I think it might have been on the fifth floor. Um, again, pardon me for memory fading a little bit. But it wasn't a regularly used studio. And in fact, I, it was pretty large, obviously, because there was a live orchestra in there. Um, and um, but I, I, I want to say it was on the fifth floor, but somebody might come and say, no, it wasn't. But but uh, but yeah. So, and, and you think it wasn't it wasn't the SNL studio? No, it was okay. not the SNL studio. It was oh. uh, it, it. I remember it did not have a hugely high ceiling. It wasn't it was more like a studio from days gone by that wasn't really used for a lot of production anymore. Um, oh. And uh, it had a, I know it had a lower ceiling and it was kind of funny because I think I remember people complaining, the orchestra members complaining that that maybe the sound wasn't fantastic in there, but it was, you know, it sounded great to me, it sounded phenomenal to me. Wow, it's interesting because I'm thinking, I'm trying to think on the fifth floor, which I know Howard Stern had his radio, uh, I believe his radio stuff, I think was on the fifth floor, I may, I may be mistaken. But I, I'm trying to think. I don't remember of any studios on the fifth floor, but there may have been a lower, 
yeah lot, it may know, not have been all, the fifth floor but yeah, it, all, it was a sizable space it was definitely a sizable space and um you know and he was running through his hit all of his old hits it was wow. it was it was crazy it was crazy wow it is isn't it amazing i mean again and we i've talked about this before the pages even though we were the lowest on the totem pole it was amazing that we they and again i don't know if it's uh this way now but we had access to the entire building you know any any place you wanted to go they let us do anything you wanted and if you walked in like you own the place there was nobody ever stopped you and in a way you did own the place right that was the funny thing about being a page um like you said you had access to everything and a lot of people who were, you know, VPs and higher ups would would come to you and say, "Hey, can you get me a ticket to this? Hey, can you, you know, it there was it was a lot of power for a for a young twenty something to have." Right, and it's funny. Did you for the uh, for the tickets? And that is true. Uh, we had a ticket uh, person, uh, Chris Sulger, who 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 handled the tickets in our uh, when I was there. So shockingly, yeah, all the tickets went through the page hands and the pages physically we had to we literally would get um um it was funny for Saturday Night Live for example we would get people would send postcards in during August yeah and we would literally pick out out of a, a, a milk crate and we'd physically you know, like you got a tickets to SNL and we'd enter it into the computer is that how you did it back then and, and you know you're, you're just a little bit earlier than me not, not yes far. and and let me tell you that I know Chris Sulger very well he was oh, a you... page with me no way. So that, that was before he took that on. Yeah, he was a really? page with me. Um, yeah, I think he, you know, he started very much not with me, but but either right before or right after me. So, yeah, I know Sluggo. Slu I can't believe, you know, Sluggo. Oh, uh, so, so good. I'm going to give some good Sluggo. I, I have to just give a couple of Sluggo stories. So first all of right. all, and I, I've asked Chris if Chris listens to this, I'm going to tell him to listen. Um, he <laughs> said he's going to be on the show. But but a couple of things with Chris. Um, one is, uh, well, one is he was in charge of all the tickets. So he really was the king of the building. Yeah. Uh, it probably was one of the most, you know, you could be like the head of NBC. But the <laughs> fact that he he was the one that controlled the tickets. I mean, he literally could write his own ticket, <laughs> basically. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, so that was oh, amazing. Absolutely. And then he, a uh, couple of things that were cool. I remember for his birthday, and this is just something random. Uh, and I was also, I love doing crazy things as a page. Um, I literally, his birthday was, let's say on a Tuesday. I literally drove from Long Island and I brought, and it would, it would never fly today, but I brought a full <laughs> size helium tank. Like the tanks that you <laughs> see at McDonald's, you know, those big like yeah. six foot tanks of gas. So Absolutely. I literally was, it's kind of funny. I'm wheeling in a six foot helium tank through 30 rock and I'm walking it in. I mean, of course I could have, you know, could have been explosives, but now it would never fly. But I walked in, I'm like, how's it going? You know, they, oh, hey Dave, what's going on? <laughs> I go into Selger's office and I brought hundreds of balloons with ribbons. And I literally sat from like two in the morning till nine o'clock the, the next morning blowing up balloons and tying a string on them and letting them go into Chris's office, like into this. Oh, fabulous. So when he walked in in the morning, you literally couldn't even walk into his office. And that was sort of my birthday gift to him. And then because there were so many balloons, 
people from all over the building were we were giving the balloons out. So like you would walk around 30 Rock and there were like hundreds of balloons. Oh, that's all over awesome. the place. Yeah, it was so it was so random. So that was one <laughs> story. And then another story, which I don't know if you'd like me to tell me, but we and, and actually I want to hear your side of it with with um, going out drinking. But I was always Uncle David. So I was always the one that was watching out for everybody. And I I, I was always the one sort of making sure that nobody died, you know. So yeah. we went back to we, we went out one night with Chris and he, you know, had a little bit to drink, uh, to say the least. And I remember <laughs> we we would always go back to the lounge and I, and I want to hear your side of this. And basically he was so drunk he was like passed out on the lounge on the couch and whoever I was with at the time, we decided to tie him up with duct tape. (laughs) We tied him up his hands behind his back and his feet. And we left him on the couch. And then we, we were like leaving. And then we said, well, you know what? We'll put a bucket by his mouth. So when he throws up, don't do it with the bucket. And that was I, so kind of you. Yeah, we were leaving and I said, he's going to kill me for telling these stories. But we were leaving and I said, you know what? God forbid he he throws up and he turns over. He could choke, you know, choke to death. So I remember I went back and I untied him. But I do, I actually have a picture of him somewhere <laughs> in this space of him on the couch tied up, um, you know, uh, you know, unconscious. So, so with you... What was the story with you guys? Did you like we would go out Saturday night and we would meet folks and we're like, hey, you want to go back to NBC? And again, we could bring anyone in. So what was your experience like with that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't know that we brought a lot of people who weren't supposed to be there in. But, you know, our my page group was a huge friend group. I mean, we went out, you know, 15 of us all the time. And I would say it was a lot more than just the weekend. We were going out five nights a week. Um, And and, um, you know, we'd go to Hurley's back when Hurley's was right there on the corner and some some dive bar out on like 10th or 12th um, that I'm sure is, you know, a beautiful condo now. Um, And uh, no, no, we uh, yeah. And there were there were places even in New York where drinks, you know, beers were super cheap, like 50 cents. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we there there was a lot of drinking and, and and there were many nights when a few of us slept in the page lounge. You know, there was only one couch, but there was a couple of chairs and there was a comfy floor. And and it was the matter of fact, there was a guy um, who I think lived in the page lounge while I was while I was there for for at least four or five months. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was your page lounge on the mezzanine level? It was, it was right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was. Okay. And it was right there, right next to the, you know, what would have been uh, Sluggo's office. It wasn't his right. office at that point. But but yeah, no, it was a very small little, you know, two or three rooms, the ticket room, the the head person's office and the page lounge. That was about it. OK, so I wonder because it 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 that's where it is. But but there were uh, several other offices. And, and may, so maybe by the time you left, they expanded it, you know, a little bit. Um, and it's funny you mentioned. There was um, McFadden's, which had nickel beer night. Did you guys? You know what? That might have been the place. Yeah. Where was that? On on what was that was like, like out of ten? It was well, no, it was it was um, it was actually right across from WPIX. Um, oh, well, way over there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. On like Third Avenue, I think. So interesting story, real quick. PIX. Right. My father was news anchor and program manager and news director at PIX in oh. the late sixties. Really. Yes. Oh, goodness. Wow. Yeah. What, what what was his name? 
same as mine. It, oh, really? Okay, Lee yeah. Nelson. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Oh, that's so funny. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing because it's funny. WPIX, which in New York, um, they're you know they're they're a legendary uh, TV station in New York. I mean, anyone that's grew up in New York is is you know. And it's funny because believe it or not, I was at PIX literally two weeks ago, uh, and I met with you know, the manager, the general manager, where we were talking about some show things mm -hmm. and I got a chance to look, they just redid their studio. So they, um, they just, uh, remodeled, you know, they have a brand new set. And so I got a chance to see the set. It was funny. I actually, <laughs> I actually walked in and I saw Mr. G, do you know, Mr. G? The I, I do not know. Yeah. He's, he's going to kill me too, but I'd walked in. <laughs> I, I, again, I had grown up in New York and I know Mr. G from when I was two or I don't know how long he's been on the air right. so I walked in to the studio and he was sitting at the weather thing the weather station like part of the set and I just walked up to him and started asking him questions and he was like who the hell are you <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> and it was funny because it and it's kind of the same thing of again of being a page because when you were a page you literally would walk into the to different sets or you'd go into the elevator and the biggest stars on earth could be right there. Yes. And it's like, either you talk to them now or you will never have that opportunity again, right? So I'm sure Completely. you must have had, have you had those? Oh my God, I, too, too many to count. I mean, yeah, at the time, you know, so the 80s, uh, 80, 85, 86, 87, I mean, you name a big star. I, you know, we did an, one of the most amazing things. I don't even know if I told you about this before, but one of the most amazing things was we, you know, the, the Museum of Broadcasting yes. in New York, they had a big event, a big fancy party. And there were two or three pages, myself included, who kind of were there just as representatives, you know, just to wear the uniform and stand there. And Lucille Ball was there. Yeah. And Bob Hope was there. And, you know, for young people listening, those were big stars, but yep, <laughs> about yep. as big, about as big as you can, you, you can imagine. Douglas Fairbanks Jr., I think, was there. Um, it was crazy. You know what I mean? You would meet them. You'd say, hello, this is Ball. It wasn't like you'd, you'd shoot the, you know, what with them. But, but um, yeah, no, I mean, this, oh, I met a million stars, a million stars. I, I had a, a couple of funny things happen to, to me, too, you know. You, I'm sure you did the same thing. Sometimes you'd have to, you know, somebody would come and they would request not to go up the main elevator. You'd have to get them in yeah. the back way just so they wouldn't be, be, you know, attacked by paparazzi. Yeah. But the paparazzi generally would find a way in anyway um, or out the, you know, the side door or, or whatever. And I mean, he wasn't even a big star. Uh, uh, Mr. Miyagi. Remember yes. him? Yep. Um, Pat Morita. Yep. Um, I was escorting him out of the building one time after an appearance, probably on Letterman. And um, the paparazzi were there. He didn't seem like a big enough star for the paparazzi to care about him. Oh. But one of them actually punched me in the stomach in order to get me out of the way to shoot pictures of Pat Morita. Wow. Ridiculous. Wow. Ridiculous. I mean, he um, was, he was Arnold. Back, but I, I, I stayed on the job. <laughs> right. Exactly. He was he, uh, Arnold. So, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that, that was a huge, uh, you know, was that pre uh, karate kid or I guess, uh, you know, probably I, around the same time, maybe. God. I, yeah. Probably around the same time. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> it, maybe he was there because it had just come out. Right. Right. Wow. And yeah. it's funny you mentioned, and I'm going to give a little, I'm going to get teary eyed. Um, 
Actually, this is this would be really funny if you know this person, Carl Killingsworth. Do you I know don't. Carl? No. So, okay, so Carl Killingsworth, God bless him. I remember basically the first time I met him, I I was I, you know, was at NBC and I was all dressed nice, and I remember the first time he saw me, he looked at me and he's he said he said it looks like you had your head up a horse's ass. Cause I guess I had my hair all greased back, you know, like styled. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, nice to meet you. <laughs> and, and he was the head of um, press and publicity for WNBC. Okay. And we, I wound up working for WNBC press uh, promotion for the promotion department as a page. And, and the, and the funny thing is, so he, he was the guy in charge of all of the uh, NBC giveaway stuff. So all of the umbrellas, all of the bags, all of the stuff. So that was like crack to the to anyone in oh, the building. Absolutely. Right. So we we he met me and he was like, you know, he we had a we we had a funny beginning, but I wound up becoming really close with him. Like I love this guy. And <laughs> and you mentioned Lucille Ball. I remember there was some party and Carl was like, you know, cats, you come with me, whatever. I don't know. And it was, I guess, Lucy Ball's daughter, um, whatever her name. I, Arnez, Lucy Arnez. Arnez. Yeah, whatever. So he, yeah. I remember he'd introduced me to her. And again, it was just some other private party in addition to the million others that, we, that I went to. But, you know, you're in these parties and he's like, David, this is so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm like, I mean, it's just, it's one of those opportunities where never in my life would I ever be oh, in yeah. the same room with these folks. Um, even, even I remember going to a party with... Um, with um uh uh henderson uh <laughs> the brady bunch whatever you know um you uh, know uh, yes yes uh, yes the brady bunch uh mother <laughs> uh oh henderson. florence henderson yes florence yes, henderson yes. exactly florence yes. henderson was there she may have been at the same party but i mean how crazy it to be like like oh this is florence henderson it's like oh you mean the woman that i watched like every week while i was you know seven you know right really? Well, um, she had a reputation too, you know. Um, uh, did she? Uh, did she make any moves on you? No, no, I know. I know those bu the books and her and Greg and stuff. No, <laughs> she didn't actually. But it was funny because I remember actually. What's her name? Um, uh, the Today Show anchor. It's funny, my brain, and it's funny. Jane Pauley. No, did did you find when you get older you can't remember any of these names? Oh, um, I wouldn't know. I'm not old yet, but, but okay. one day. That would be a problem for me. Uh, the uh, well, what um, uh, she was the anchor. Jane no, no, she had the issue with Matt Lauer. Um, uh, Katie Couric, not Katie Couric. You know, she, her I work with. Oh, Ann Ann Curry, Ann Curry. Curry. Ann Curry yeah. yeah, she was at the party too, and yeah. like I was introduced to her, and I, I remember giving her a hug. I, you talk about, it. I gave her a hug. I said, "You're like my favorite." <laughs> I'm like, "I love you," you know. And she was so nice, you know, but, um, but anyway, yeah. So, so those parties and doing all those crazy things are insane. I mean, you had other folks, I guess, um, th what Theo, you, you gave a tour once with Theo from, uh, I did. what was the story with that? Well, you know, so, um, I, I actually had a couple of interactions with him other than working on the Cosby show and seeing him there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was, well, there was one time, you know, I, when you gave tours, was there still the radio window, the, WNBC radio window and sometimes they they would talk with the tours. Well, it's funny because I I interviewed Janice Panino. Did you know Janice Panino? Yeah. Cuz yep. Janice, she was the head of our department when I was there and we talked about the whole thing, but 
the WNBC radio, which again I thought was on five, but it maybe might have been. You know, I, I I thought it was on three, but, but maybe but again, it wasn't. You know, again, yeah. I I need to go back actually and look, but that was out of order. I mean, that was that was a yeah. ghost town, and I personally was so nosy because I I know. I used to walk through every elevator bank, every secret passageway. So I used to go in there and the cleaning crew company used to store their chemicals and, and equipment in there. So oh, I would funny. walk, yeah, I would walk and it was like, it was like, you know, out of like Jurassic Park or something. I'd see like wires and cables just laying there and seeing the console that, that Howard Stern must've, you know, that he used. Yeah. So never, I never actively used it but it was there because they, they didn't dismantle it all. So tell me about what you saw. Well, yeah. And I know you wanted to hear about Theo, but, but going back to that. So I was actually on, on that uh, show with them a bunch of times because, uh, you know, you'd bring tours by and you'd stop and you'd start to tell the people, this is WNBC. So in the mornings, I believe at that time, it was kind of the end of the soupy sales era, but he was still there. Wow. Uh, then there was Imus. Um, and Janet from another planet was in the afternoon into the evening. And, and, um, but I miss, I was on the, I'm a show a bunch of times, you know, he would just quickly say he was interested in, in talking with the people on the tour and there was a microphone out in the hallway. So he oh, could turn really? that on and, you know, where are you from, you know, Des Moines, Iowa or whatever. And he'd have a, you know, he'd, he'd have a little interplay with them, but so, but yeah. So one time, um, it was weird. And I don't know this particular time why, Theo was in the building, but I was on a tour. And, you know, often when you're the tour guide, everybody is looking at you and you're looking back at them as you lead. So you're the only one who's looking behind everyone. And he walked up and he gave me a little wink and he just joined the tour. <laughs> and so I immediately started to talk about how the Cosby show is shot in Brooklyn and, you know, uh, what a great show it is. And, it, uh, you know, that was just the hugest show at that time. Right. Oh, um, yeah. And and um, and, you know, and nobody knows he's back there because oh, I'm, no. you know, trying to entertain them with with a few little tidbits I knew about Cosby show. And I said, but actually, there's somebody on the tour who might know a little bit more about the show than I. Oh, my and God. I said, he's right behind you. And they turned around and, you know, their jaws all dropped. And he did. He was wonderful. He, he you know, he was a kid. Yeah. But he uh, yeah. Yeah. He talked about, you know, a little bit about behind the scenes of the show. That tour was worth the money for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the other time, the other time uh, that I, I had, I worked with him. So we did, it's funny, you know, you, you and I were talking about there might be a 90th anniversary page party this year, which is crazy, 90 years. So when I was a page, we did the 60th anniversary special and I was chosen to actually perform, you know, quotations perform in the anniversary special. Um, and if you watch it online, it's the hokiest thing you've ever seen in your life. Um, but one of the scenes, so you know the the kind of the fake control room we had that we would take people yeah, on mini tour control, of. mini control yeah. on nine. That was yes, nine, yes. Right? Yeah. okay. So so I was in there and I was running camera, and we were bringing in stars of current and former NBC shows and giving them the tour. That really? was the kind of the feeling of what the special was, and so the Cosby kids were there except for Lisa Bonet, which bummed me out because she was the one I wanted to meet the most. Um, and, um, and Barbara Eden, which was weird. Wow. And, and then some, some other 
older woman who I, I don't know that I ever knew her name, but, but so, so Theo was on that as well. And I was kind of, you know, we, we were kind of the tour guides of that little segment of the show as well. He was a, he was a nice kid, really nice kid. I'm sure he still is. Wow. So that, so in the special, they, they recorded these folks taking the mini control tour. Wow. You got and, it. It, and again, for those listening um, back in the day, and again, I don't know if that's, I don't think, I, I think it's, they took it apart, but there was a little, like we called it mini control up on nine, which was the last stop on the tour. So we'd yeah. bring guests in and we would, there'd be two pages manning the, uh, the, the controls <laughs> yeah. and they would sit down and we would give them, we would have one person do the weather, one person sit at Johnny Carson's desk. Um, and it's really funny because I, I remember, um, remember the carts that you would plug in to play music on those? Oh, absolutely. Things? Yeah, absolutely. So me being so anal, I, I actually worked as an intern and then as a long story for WLIR in New York. Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course, in rate, and I worked in radio in, in college and in high school. So I went and I, I bought um, a ton of seven inch singles and I recorded those singles on new brand new carts. So, uh, so, so now when, you know, so, cause they were there probably for the last God knows how long. Yeah. So we put all these really cool carts in. Um, and it's funny if, if Alex Steyer is listening, she was a page, she'd requested Mary's prayer. Um, it's a, I, uh, now I can't think of who sang it, but I remember, uh, putting it on a card for her. And literally like three days ago, I was in Walgreens and Mary's prayer was coming up on the speaker. And I thought of <laughs> Alex and I thought of me putting it in mini control. It's like, how random is that? It's 30 years ago, you know. That's totally um, random. Totally. Wow. Random. That's so funny. Um, what about now? It's funny. You mentioned or I mentioned at the top, uh, Mr. Robin Williams. Yeah. Um, tell me. Tell me about that story. Yeah. So he also was at the height of his fame. Um, and, uh, we, uh, we were on the elevator at the same time, you know, and as you were saying that, that happened a lot, you know, you'd get on the elevator and I, I think I was going up to, you know, he, so he must've been a guest on Letterman. That makes the most sense. I probably was working the show, uh, that day. So we were riding up the elevator, but he pressed every button. And when, the door opened, you know, and he was entertaining the people in the elevator and anybody who, when the door opened, was standing outside on that floor. And he had a running commentary, you know, floor number one, lingerie, women's, <laughs> you know, undergarments. And then we'd go up to the next floor and he'd say menswear, shoes, but he, you know, he'd throw in hilarious little jokes, but he was, you know, just riffing, riffing like he used to do way back in the day. Um, it was hilarious. People were just dying laughing. And it was really funny. I was kind of an insight into who he was at the time um, because, you know, he 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 wasn't on a show. He was in an elevator, but he was still trying to entertain everyone. It was really, really interesting. Right. And I mentioned before on, on an earlier podcast, I was giving a tour on the ninth floor overlooking Saturday Night Live. And the, the group is watch, looking out the window and I'm going, there's Saturday Night Live. And then Robin Williams shows up. And he did the same thing. He started riffing and blow. it was classic Williams. And yeah. the audience, the, the, my tour almost lost their minds because he was, you know, and it just, it's so sad because he, he was just bigger than life. God bless him. And he was so nice. I mean, he was so nice to everybody and he did all yeah. these types of things for him to do it in the elevator, to do it with the group. I mean, he changed the lives like those people, even myself, 
those stories will live forever. And I'm glad that we could even mention him because he was so kind and he was talking to the group and, and he just, it was amazing. So, you know, so, so many people, when they would take the tour, they would, one of the questions was, are we going to see a star? Are we going to see a star? Right. And you know, you, you, you didn't want to let them down and say, probably not. You say, well, you know, maybe sure. There's they're, they're all over the building. Um, but you know, I don't know what percentage of the time you saw one versus not, but, but you know, you 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 did not see one a lot more often than you did but right. yeah no that was when you when you got an experience like that as as a on, on a tour i mean what an amazing thing yeah right wow and i think the tours were like five dollars back then or something so you really get your money's worth you know they're yeah they're they're probably eighty dollars now who who the heck knows but. i think well it's funny i th I think when when i did it they were seven i think there was seven dollars and yeah. i think now they're like twenty seven dollars or something they are <laughs> Up there. So I took the tour um, probably 10 years ago now. Oh, wow. um, uh, uh, and it was ostensibly to go see how things have changed, you know, and I mean, God, everything right. had changed. But the tour was so watered down. I and I, you know, I mean, no offense to the folks who are doing it now, but so watered down compared to what we used to do and the access that we had versus what they had. Um, you know, the only it's funny you, you would you're talking about the window that you look down on the, the SNL studio. I think that was the only, you know, real window. Otherwise, we just went in, you know, went right in the studios. Yeah. Right, um, yeah. And um, and it was, you know, it was they the people got a really good idea of what things looked like. They really, really did. And, and back, I know back in the day, uh, Letterman was on one side and they did like live at five on the other side of the hallway on that floor. Um, and uh yeah, so I, I think we went in either or both of those on the tour. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah, and again, for listeners, so if you come down the, uh, if you get out of the elevator and walk down the sixth floor, Letterman was on the left, uh, Live at Five was on the right. And basically, for the most part, we were always allowed to go into Letterman. We we could go into Live at Five if it was early enough because they went on the air at five. And then with um, Letterman, uh, I always get a kick. It was always freezing. Did you oh, yes, experience yes. that? Yes. It, it was it was as it was as cold as it could be without freezing the 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 system, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Did you yeah. know that? And oh, was, absolutely. And he had the the little uh air conditioning vent right over his star. Yeah. I don't know if that was part of your shtick. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. absolutely was. Yeah, it yeah. was like if you literally and I remember there were time it was funny because because when I started, it was the summer and it was really hot. And I would sometimes wear a suit to uh, to work, um, and it was really hot. So on the days that I wanted to cool off, I would go into Letterman Studio and just stand there because it was the only place in the building that was really cool, um, which is funny. Oh, that's really funny. I remember. So you know, one of the cool things I'm sure you have the opportunity to do this too is when they were doing the camera blocking prior to the show starting, they yeah. needed somebody to sit where he sit. He sat. Oh, um, yeah. And and um, you know, often it was me, and it was so funny because. A, there was air blowing on you when you were freezing and you were like, you know, you had to sit still so they blocked the camera. So it was, you know, you were shivering there. But the other thing was you felt so important because as the studio audience was slowly filling in, um, you know, you got the feeling that they were like, who's that guy? He must be important. Yeah. He's sitting in, you know, and, and <laughs> no, not important. Just, just uh, taking up space. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. No, it is. It's true because you, you, yeah, people, you know, and especially if you were dressed in your, your uniform and went down to Main Hall, again, you were the ambassador for the for NBC, 
And at that moment, you know, you were sort of important. And it was, you know, it was it was very cool. I mean, it was definitely a fun, um, you know, it, it was fun. And again, I love talking to people. So I would always, you know, during the standby lines. And so yeah. I would talk to them and, you know, you know, schmooze it up a little bit because that was a fun. a fun. Yeah. Thing. And they were they were so excited to be there. So. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was the that was such a heyday for NBC. Also, the 80s, you know, with the, you know, the the lineups and the prime time and everything. I actually worked um, outside Brandon Tartikoff's office for for a little while as one of my sub assignments. So I saw a lot of stars going in and out of his office too, but you know, uh, just the, just the heyday of NBC really. I mean, they just owned, owned oh, yeah. prime time. Yeah. yeah. Did you have um, with Brandon, did you have any, any good stories uh, related to that? Or you just saw a lot of folks coming in? Going? I just saw a lot of folks. Um, I, you know, I mean, I certainly knew him a little bit, um, but he didn't chit chat a lot with us. There was a now, so there, I also worked right next door, and there was a guy. I'm gonna have a hard time thinking. Bill, Bill Danhauser, was he there when you were there? No. So, so or he Bill, might have been. His office was one or two doors down from Brandon Tartikoff's office, and Bill's job. He only had two events that he worked on all year: the Miss America pageant and Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh. And I also worked for him. Um, so, you know, I was outside Brandon Tartikoff's office for a little while. I was actually basically inside Bill's office for, for quite a while. So, yeah, a lot of people would come and go. A lot of big stars. A lot of a lot of people who were, you know, initially being interviewed for for pilots um, and and, wow. and stuff like that. So people who you you maybe didn't know who they were at that point. But a year after that, you were like, oh, I remember seeing that person. Right. Um, but yeah, but it was funny. I, I uh, Bill was hardly ever there i used to i used to basically use his office as my office and i would snooze on the couch in the afternoon in his office just lock the door wow and it's so it's funny because you know and i've met we've we've spoke about this um also just as far as like um um giving feedback to some of the younger folks that might be wanting to get into the business and you know obviously this whole thing about not nobody wants to go to the office and nobody nobody wants to work yeah but you know, here it is, and and maybe you have some thoughts on this, but you know, some people may say, "Well, I don't want to sit out outside of Brandon Tartikoff's office." And you know, this is this is nonsense. But wouldn't you say that, in hindsight, you now look back and you say, "I was sitting there," and at the time, it's it seemed totally worthless. But now, when you look back, you're like, "I learned this." You know, so I learned about things. I learned about life i learned about how to how a business works anything completely yeah, completely so. you were privy to conversations that you otherwise would have been perfect example of how important starting like that is mary Connolly. you know her uh, so, I'm not so sure. mary, Remind me. mary was a page with me she her first job you know and she was, was one she, of those actually pages. was she tall with dark hair no no, okay. No, okay. No, I mean, the name you know, sounds familiar, but okay. Like dirty blonde hair, glasses. Okay, no. Um, really super nice, really, really nice. Um, okay. through awesome parties on the Upper West Side. Um, <laughs> but but so she was one of the people who she was a page for like as long as you could be. I think it was 18 months at that point. Yeah. You know, and some some folks like I was only a page for like a year or maybe not even quite a year before I then moved on to something else in NBC. But but she she stayed. So she was super seniority. And so she always got the best jobs and the best posts. 
And when her time was up, she went to be a receptionist, I believe, at Letterman mm. and moved up the ranks and moved up the ranks and moved up the ranks. If you remember the episode with Letterman with Boomer Esiason, where they were throwing footballs at garbage cans in yeah. the office, that was Mary who threw who, who hit more garbage cans than Boomer Esiason oh, did. Oh, wow. wow. Um, Mary went on to be the EP of Ellen. Oh, wow. And uh, she's got a couple of shows on the air now, including the game show that Ellen hosted or is still hosting. Wow. Um, that's a total creation of Mary Connolly. Super smart. Um, sister of Chris Connolly, by the way, from formerly of MTV and Rolling oh, Stone okay. and later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, so that's the perfect example of why you would, you would take any job outside right. any important office because, you know, it, there's a day when somebody's not there and you go, Hey Lee, I need you to do this for me. And you right. do a good job and then you get more responsibility and you get more responsibility. And before you know it, they can't live without you. And I think that's what happened with her. Right. Wow. No, I think that's such good advice because it just, it just seems that um, that's the thing when you're in a situation and you do a good job and they recognize that. Um, and again, just, you know, it, it's like if you're not in the office and you're not rubbing shoulders with these folks or going to the parties or going to the bars or whatever, then, you know, being, you know, being home is great, but everything that will affect the rest of your life. I don't know how that can happen if you're not, in the office talking to folks and, and doing these types of things. I don't, I don't know. I, compl I completely agree. And yeah, I completely agree. I think if you're working from home, you're and doing a good job at it, you're going to stay right where you are. But if you're in the flow of things, and like you said, rubbing shoulders with people, you're going to make connections that you, that you can't make online. Right. You just can't. Yeah. Right. Well, getting back to Letterman, um, uh, what was the story with Sam Kinison? Uh, which again, okay, the, yeah. Uh, he well, was so a... actually, and I remember too, it was not just Sam Kinison, but it was Sam Kinison and Lenny Clark. Oh, okay. okay, two super huge comics at the time. You know, and and for those of you who don't remember Sam, he was the one who would, you know, ah! <laughs> he would just yell. You know, and and he was huge. He wore a beret. He was kind of heavy, he had scraggly long hair. But he, he too couldn't turn it off, you know, a little bit like Robin Williams, only Robin Williams was, you know, in, in a pleasant way. And Sam Kinison was in a very kind of abrasive way. But he, he, he and Lenny Clark had gotten upstairs outside Letterman one night and, and they weren't on the show. Hmm. And the producer, you know, came to me and they, you know, and they were trying to, I don't think they were trying to get on the show, but they were trying to talk to the producer and blah, 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 blah. And it's right before the show. And the producer comes to me and says, get these guys out of here. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and they said, no, I just, I don't care. Get them out of here. Um, so here I am again, the, uh, you know, a lowly page. And my job is to get these two famous guys, the hell out of NBC, out of 30 Rock. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I was oh, hello, Mr. Kennison. Hello. You know, I, I, uh, it was the craziest thing. It worked. It wasn't easy because they were kind of abrasive with me. Um, you know, I want to talk to the producer. I want to, you know, and I was like, look, uh, you know, and I think finally I said, look, the producer told me this. You guys got to go. Um, but yeah, one of the just one of the weird positions you get put in as a page, just right. just 
just crazy, very uncomfortable, but you know, I successfully threw them the hell out. So <laughs> <laughs> just again, um, unbelievable stories. And then how about with, was it with Letterman that you, um, with Keith Richards? Yes. Stones, was that the same? It was the entire band except for Mick, but Keith. So I am standing outside. You know how, how, you know, some people were in, inside when the show was going on and there was always one page outside i'm not even sure why maybe just not to let anyone in the door right. but i'm just standing there and the green rooms of course were on the hallway outside i think this one was just to the right of the entrance to the letterman studio and and um i'm just standing there all alone and i get a tap on my shoulder and i turn around and it's keith richards and and he you know he said hey mate you know there's something wrong with the monitor in in our in our room <laughs> pardon the terrible english accent <laughs> and um and he's like can you fix it and i was like uh you know i'm i'm completely not not mechanical in any way but i was like yeah sure i can and i uh so i went in and the rest of the band and their wives were in there and oh. they were there because carl perkins was on Letterman that night. And they were going to be performing with Carl Perkins downtown somewhere at a club after that. Wow. Um, and so I went in there and I pretended to mess with the monitor. I, I you know, I couldn't fix it, but I, I wanted to milk that for absolutely as long as I possibly could. Finally, I had to say, look, I'm guys, I'm sorry. I, I can go get someone else. And they're like, ah, don't worry about it. You want a beer? <laughs> really? And I wish I had the, the the cojones to say, yeah, you know, but now I would absolutely be like, hell yeah. Back right. then I was like, no, I'm on the job. Um, thank you so much. Great to meet you. I'm going to go get, you know, somebody who can really help you. Right. Um, and I, and I went and got somebody who could really help them. <laughs> wow. And it's, and again, for the listeners, you know, the, the monitors in all of the, in all of the building had access to all of the studios. So, yeah. and depending on how it was punched up, you could watch the rehearsals, things on air, things from California. I mean, it was all over the place. And it's true, you know, as a page, I mean, no one, we don't know what the hell we're doing. The, the, <laughs> the monitor is there. If it doesn't work, you know, you could press the buttons like you would normally, you know, today on your TV. But, but yeah, we didn't have any, no one really showed us how to use that. It just was one of those, again, perks that is like, wow, you could look into the studio and and see all this stuff. Yeah. And, and interestingly about that, probably in hindsight, I wasn't even allowed to touch the monitor because of union rules, but there was no other NBC representative in the room because actually I got yelled at by Lauren Michaels one time for, for turning the volume down on a monitor outside of S SNL. And yeah. all I did was turn the volume down. So clearly they took that stuff really, really seriously. Yeah, actually, and it's funny. I'll, I'll give you a, a funny story. I, was, I worked for WNBC and for Live at Five and I was in the studio not too long. It was like probably 10 minutes to air or, or, or around that time. And I was in there with Sue Simmons, which, yeah. I guess, you know, so, so yeah, I I, well. yeah. So I, so I'm in the studio with Sue and literally there was nobody in the studio. Like the place is like a ghost town. And we looked at each other and we're like, do you find this weird that like we're the, we're going on the air in like maybe 15 minutes and nobody's here. And I guess, she had some scripts that um, I guess, cause I would rip the scripts for yeah. the newscast and, and we'll talk about Chuck Scarborough, who was her co-anchor at the time, yeah. um, which is a perfect segue, but, um, <laughs> but, but I was ripping the scripts and I guess I had the entire scripts in my hand and, 
I don't know what it was because I because on air I was able to give it to her, but whatever it is, I had I guess I had put it on the table uh, or on her desk, and sure enough, the un somebody may have saw me do that, and they literally called a union person, yeah, and they literally had the union person come in, take what I had put on the desk off, they put it on a chair. And then they literally picked it up off the chair and then put it back on the desk. And that union person then took the chair and sat there. Yeah. So the fact that I touched it, it was like, that's a union job. So right. they had to pay a union person to do it. So, and again, I, I get the whole thing, but again, talk about, it was like a little bit weird, you know, um, that, you know, they, like you are not allowed to touch anything. Yeah. Um, even, and it's funny when, when I work for WNBC, my boss, uh, we, we actually had an avid prior to yeah. avid really going it, we had it, we, we had it secretly in our closet in one of the offices <laughs> and this was like avid four like it was right when it was it did but because it was a union shop we weren't allowed you know you weren't allowed to use avid because it was and that was sort of this was like right in the beginning but um i remember you know if we had an editor in the edit room if if something had to be done you know the editor had to do it Oh yeah. Um, but I will say that my, my boss will remain nameless, uh, even though people know who it is. Um, you know, he would go and he would touch the he would do he would the, the editor would say and to his credit, the editor would say it can't be done. And he would like really, and he would go boom 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 and he would do it. And he's like, Well, that's what I want. So to his credit, he knew he what he was doing and and sort of showed the editors really how to do it. Yeah. But yeah, it was crazy. But um, but that's a perfect segue to Chuck Scarborough. Yep, so um, I have a bunch of stories about him, but you tell me about your stories with Chuck, because Chuck, if you're from New York, is a you know legendary um, anchor. Everyone in New York knows him. He's been on the air, I think, the longest anchor to this day. He's still on yes. the air uh, yeah, yeah. than any New York anchor. And I personally was his assistant, you know, when I started. Um, so I'll talk about that. But tell me about your experience with Chuck. Sure. And I will just say, too, that Chuck... So I'm I'm 60 years old and I know that he's 19 years older than I am. So so he's about to turn 80 wow. and he is still working that job. It's amazing. So I've wow. known Chuck since I was nine years old. Wow. Um, because Chuck. So so my father was an anchor, as I as I said earlier, um, was uh, working. Well, actually, so he he had worked in Maine, where I'm coming to you from now. Um, then he went to PIX in New York. Then he actually bought a radio station in Maine. So he was off the air for a little while and he kind of ran this, this really small time operation until it drove him crazy. And then he went to Boston and he was, uh, an anchor on the, the CBS in Boston and Chuck was his co-anchor. Okay. And my dad was the more senior guy. And Chuck at the time, I think was 29. Wow. Um, and, um, so yeah, so I met Chuck. Chuck took me on my first roller coaster ride, um, and uh, and and you know obviously we stayed in touch. My dad and Chuck were roommates in Boston because we still lived in Maine. So they had an apartment that they shared on the waterfront down there oh, wow. um, until we eventually moved down to Boston. Um, and uh, so we stayed in touch with Chuck. I lost my dad in 1980, um, which was I was a freshman in college. And um, so I so Chuck became the person I turned to because I knew, you know, I, I wasn't doing radio or anything, but I was, you know, I wrote for the school paper. I actually wrote for the Globe 
Boston Globe when I was in high school. Um, and so I was pretty clear what I wanted to do. And um, so, yeah, I gave Chuck a call when I graduated from Syracuse in 84. Um, actually, I waited a little while. I did something first. And I'm like, I hate this. I called Chuck and he's like, let me see what I can do. And he hooked me up with my page job, um, and which was fabulous. And I had the greatest time. And then he came to me and he said, look, they're looking for what they then called an, an NFA, a news feature assistant at NBC News. Would you like that? And I was like, hell yeah. So he got me that job. And then when he knew that I wanted to be on the air, he would take me down to the studio after the show and I would record the same script that he had done on the set with the prompter operator and the NBC camera people. And it was amazing. And then he got me my first on-air job in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where he had worked um, a million years ago. He'd actually gone to school in that town, Hattiesburg. Um, so, I mean, you know, un unbelievable, unbelievable wow. help. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Chuck, I mean, he, and it's funny, you mentioned a bunch of interesting things. Um, yeah, Chuck uh, was always so, he, it's funny, he's 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 so even keeled, <laughs> you know, he's just, yes. yeah. he's like, you know, um, just, you know, very focused, does his thing, very kind. I mean, he was always nice, you know. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to read him sometimes. But, you know, mm -hmm. I used to, like I said, I I used to I started as a as an assistant, so I used to get him his his, his he used to get a hamburger, uh, uh, yogurt, a diet coke, <laughs> and I would I would literally bring that to him. Actually, it's funny. Even with with Chuck, I remember I said, Chuck, you know, there's this thing called a Macintosh computer, and, <laughs> what you, and it's I'm telling you, it's going to be fantastic. And I remember. Uh, they they sold something called a duo where I was like, because I used to write his letters, like he would dictate letters to me and I'd write it yeah. to the fans. So I so there was a computer and I remember showing him that he could take one of the computers, it would slide out, he could take it home with him and then plug it back into the dock and he would have a dual system. But um, but he was so great. Um, and it's really yeah. nice that he was so kind to you. Um, and again, sort of talking about what we said earlier, you know, uh, clearly you had talent. And you had drive and you were persistent in the things that you did. And Chuck obviously recognized that to help you. So anyone who anyone who's thinking that, you know, Chuck just got you these jobs. Um, well, I, I, you know, and again, I don't really know you that well, but clearly you went on to do all these things. And and again, that was because you you, you know, had that that um, drive and he recognized that because Lord knows if you didn't have it, he wouldn't have supported you. So. You know, anyone, you know, again, it's like being, you know, it's like opportunity meeting preparation. Yes. You know, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want people to know that that just that talks to more of what we said before. You know, you got to put yourself in the right place, you know, you know, to be open to those opportunities. And then should they come along, you know, you can take them. Yeah. Oh, no, that's that's yeah. true. I mean, I, I like to think I had talent. But I don't know. But, exactly. But it, I, I managed to have a career for like 30 some odd years. So but right. But um, but uh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I mean, he could he certainly knew I had the passion to to continue. And I, I worked my ass when I was at NBC, I worked my ass off and uh -huh. often. So my you know, I, I was an NFA for a little while for NBC News and I worked the assignment area and you know that was back when the when the ap wire was coming through on paper and you had to rip it and put it in all the reporters boxes and put it on brokaws in his uh, area and and um but i pretty much spent most of my time working overnight on a show 
early morning show, which was is no longer in existence, but it was NBC News at sunrise. Um, yeah. And I and I worked that show for a pretty long time um, and usually stayed and, and worked a little on the first hour of the Today show as well. Um, so so, yeah, no, I worked I worked my ass off, but and but it was also super fun. So. Right. The, and it's funny, the host of uh, Sunrise, who, who was the host of that again? It, remember, there were three different ones when I when I started, it was Connie Chung. Right. Um, and then for a little while, it was Bob Jameson. Right. Uh, and then it ended up being Deborah Norville. Norville. OK. Yeah. And that was before the whole she and Jane Polly right. thing happened. Um, but she can't. Yes, yeah, I think she came from Atlanta. She was she was really young at the time, too, and super, super nice. Um, so in my, I don't know how long I was on that show, but in my tenure, that it was those three. Yeah. Wow. And then you'd work with, uh, Mr. Brokaw yeah. and you had, did you have a little interesting story with him? At you know, I, 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 um, well, oh, I've got, I've got one, um, really interesting story. Actually, I like, so I, I did not have a lot of interaction with him. He knew who I was. I'm not sure he knew my name, but he, he knew me to see me. Um, but there was a special report one night. And, um, you know, I have no idea what the topic was, but I was assigned to work on this to like, you, you, you know, to rip the scripts and all of that kind of thing. This was the very first time that NBC was using computers versus the old, um, you know, um, uh, typewriters. electric typewriters or yeah. even even non-electric typewriters, you know, where you had to bang the hell out of it. But it was during the time when they were, you know, trying to transition into the modern world. And so the now the prompter at that point was still the old style prompter where the papers had to run under the camera. But the the computer did print out the scripts. And there was a unit called the specials unit. Um, I don't even know what floor they were on, but they would come down and kind of take over when there was something like this going on. And the people who usually worked just kind of stepped aside. And this was probably on at like eight o'clock at night or something. And, and the, the funny slash horrible thing that happened was the women who were kind of in charge of this, you know, and making the computer work, um, waited really late to print the scripts, which is not that uncommon, as you know, but they had the paper loaded upside down so that the Xerox part of the paper did not work. So there's a stack of scripts. It's five minutes before air. We go to rip the scripts and there's only one copy because the paper went in the wrong way. So I was like, you know, what do you do? Because the producer needs one and the prompter operator needs one and the audio person and the, and the TD and of course the anchor. Um, and there was one copy of the scripts. So I was like, we got to start Xeroxing these as fast as humanly possible. Um, and I ran the scripts down to Broca who was waiting on the set to start the show. And it was like the first three stories. It wasn't the whole show. And he's like, what is this? And I said, sir, we have a little bit of a problem. Um, and he was beside himself when he heard what happened. Um, and, you know, I had left, but other people are like Xerox and Xerox and trying to get multiple copies of the script. Um, and as I remember, so, so, you know, we got 
stuff down there. And I ended up going back to the assignment area and Connie Chung was there along with, um, you know, a couple of other assignment editors. And I just sat down and they were like, what's wrong? And I said, watch this show and you will see what's wrong. And the show started and, and it was a mess. Um, it was just a mess. And, uh, and I do believe that the women who were in charge lost their jobs. Um, and it was, it was, you know, and if only, you know, they had to, the funny thing was, is this wasn't breaking news. So you could have printed those scripts the day before. This was a show that was written, you know, the, the packages were all in, um, but they waited, you know, I, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a news thing. They waited until the very end and it was too late and it was horrifying. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was one of the, and, and, and he was not a mean guy. Tom right. was very nice but he was not happy that night. I'll tell you. Well, I'm, I'll talk about a couple of things. One again, for those listening. Um, and again, I'm assuming they do it the same way today, but again, you mentioned it, but um, you know, the, the way that it works when the scripts for the newscast, um, they get printed out on, on like, let's say five or seven copies yep. and they're bound on either side, like, like you would perforate a check or something. Yep. And, the, and there were runners. Now, again, it's amazing because you or or the like the production assistants, like, you know, the lowest guy on the totem pole are the ones that are doing this. But it's probably why, as you could tell, it's like one of the most important things. So you would get the scripts and you'd we'd have a table that was like 10 feet long and you would pull off the strip on both sides of this pay, paper. And you'd go page one, page two, page three, and you'd spread them out over the seven, you know, five or six feet, 10, whatever it was. And as you mentioned, you had the uh, director got a copy, the assist, the, the technical director got a copy, both anchors got a copy, the teleprompter got a copy. Um, and maybe, audio. And audio, yeah, and audio, right. So, and, and it would, and the person, I guess you did it as well as I did, you know, you physically would have to run that piece of paper or that stack to all of those places within a yep. minute yep. and you run back. And if something else came out, you would, you know, rip it, boom, boom, boom. And there, and there were times, um, you know, well, again, you know, if you, that, that person on the totem pole, the low person, but the fact is, if those scripts don't get delivered in the right order and in the right time, you're literally going to see nothing on the air. Although I know now, like if you watch picks a lot, believe it, it's, which it's obviously probably de-unionized, but they have their own shuttle uh, pro device to control the prompter by themselves. Okay, that's a whole thing. I will tell you, um, that is, pardon me for interrupting. Yeah, no, no. This... Um, it, it, um, so I retired as an anchor three years ago um, for a number of reasons. Um, but one really, one thing that just drove me crazy was they were, they're bringing that back everywhere. Cutting costs. Why have a prompter operator when the anchor can run the teleprompter with a little, either a toe button or a, or a little knob that you turn. Right. But what people, and, and these decisions are made by people who are not ever on the air. So they don't know what the feeling is like on the air. Now, is it physically possible to turn that knob and read the script? Absolutely. But what you lose is the connection with the audio because part of your brain is turning that knob, you know? So yeah, the words are coming out. It, 
it probably makes sense. But you are you don't have the the emotion or the or the you're not punching the right words or whatever. Um, it to me it was horrific, horrific. Now the young kids now they don't they you know they were just told you run your own prompter, fine. So they run their own prompter. But us old guys, um, it was really an affront because I felt like it 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 took something away from my ability to really present the news. Right. Yeah. And let's just talk about that for a second because it it, it is true that. That again, for those listening, you know, um, you know, when you rip these pa pages, you know, there was a guy, there was actually a little <laughs> conveyor belt, right? A conveyor belt <laughs> yeah. with a camera focused downward, literally read, like just look, reading the uh, the pages as they pass by this little conveyor belt. Now, the, the good thing with that is that the person who manned that, um, they controlled the speed. Right. And the fact is that you as an anchor who is trying to focus on not tanking the entire newscast, you got people talking in your ear, which again, most people, you know, the IFB, the, uh, you know, the interrupted foldback, I, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you have the producer in the control room, sometimes literally screaming in your ear, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're screaming, you know, and so you're trying to like, listen to what they're saying as you're trying to read the prompter or or just make something up to fill time or whatever it is and you're trying to again connect with the audience and re-hit the right words so it's not easy and especially if stories are killed and and orders are changed it is not an easy task so you know again can they can they do it you know sure but if you you know it's like as a professional being on the air to read the prompter, have one guy, you know, controlling the, you know, the speed, the order, you know, that's that's how you make a professional uh, production by having all those folks um, control and make everything perfect. When you're doing it by yourself, if you accidentally hit that spinner and and pass where you're reading, <laughs> yeah. you might as well just look at the audience and say, you know what, uh, give me a second here, why now find where I left off. Of uh, the other way, happens. Yeah, yeah, the other the other person can do that and and keep you on track. Once yeah. you lose your place, you're done. So, do you, you know, my my feeling always, too, was that, you know, uh, to be a successful anchor. Um, sure, you have to be able to read and 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 not fall over your words too often. But I never thought that was the most important thing. I thought the connection with the audience was the most important thing that the, you know, the you know, looking them in the eye and, and really trying to connect with people. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Is it, is it mechanically possible to do it? Yeah. But is it the best way to do it? No way. No right. way. Right. Um, and it's funny, I have to mention a, a story about the, also with the scripts. Um, I was working the Macy's day parade. We were doing it live. Uh, and I, ironically outside my, my left window here, if you just look out that's Macy's right out my window. So I can oh, see fabulous. The, I can see the balloons going across right here. So it's funny. So back in the day, we had set up the um or or when they do the parade, uh, WNBC had set up their own uh risers and platform to do it live. So Chuck and Sue were doing it live um right outside. And I was under the platform, so underneath the actual platform where they were sitting, and we hooked up, and I'm going to give Mike Schreibman another shout out, because uh, he must have done it. He hooked up printers that were printing the scripts, 
and um basically i i had ripped the scripts and i guess um you know there were two stacks maybe one for chuck one for sue and they were they were put differently you know they were put mm -hmm. uh separate and i pro and, and we're, we're literally feeding them through like the spaces in between the steps <laughs> to hand them upstairs oh my god and, that's hilarious yeah and 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 i love sue but i'm gonna give her you know i I handed her the scripts and I, and she must've taken the two piles and put them together. Yeah. Like, like as if they were one, but I'd handed them to her separate. Right. So now she must've grabbed them and then somehow they were then separated. So now God knows what the deal is. I'm pretty sure that Sue took the scripts and threw them in the air and said <laughs> what the, and she's known, you know, what the, what, oh yeah, you know, and I'm like, are you are you serious? And I think we they all sort of fluttered to the ground, and either we climbed out and grabbed them and then re put them in order to give them to her, or or I, I guess I was probably with somebody else, but yeah, we were live on the air, and she, you know, they were out of order, and instead of her just like Chuck would have kept his cool. But right. she freaked out and, you know, threw them all over the place. And I, and I want I wanted to say to her, are you, are you out of your mind? <laughs> are you out of your <laughs> yeah. mind? Um, so, yeah. So, so all those scripts and things, you know, again, for the, for the low folks on the totem pole, you know, they're really important. It takes a lot of work. You got to keep them, you got to move your ass. You got to make yeah. sure you rip them properly. Um, it's a lot of work, you know. I'll tell you too, when you, when you are an anchor, if you've, if you've come up that way, you appreciate much more all the work that the other people are doing mm. because you did it too. Right. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell me, tell me a little bit about, so about your anchoring, um, which is amazing. So you just you know, touch on that. Uh, maybe give some advice to some of the folks that might want to follow your path. Um, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's some advice. It's, um, it's good advice. So, yeah, so, so I got my, my first on air job was at uh, WDAM mm, really. Yeah. <laughs> in Hattie's, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Um, and I met my wife there, who was an anchor as well. Um, and uh, she had gone to school in town and was an anchor um, already. Um, and after about seven months in Mississippi, I said, look, I love you, but I don't love this place. And she was like, all right, let's go somewhere else. So um, we headed back up to the Northeast. Um, she got a job at a, at a very short lived CBS affiliate in New Hampshire. And I just went to Boston and I produced for a little while until I got a job at the ABC in Portland, Maine for a year. Then she got a job at the NBC in Portland. And then um, she was, we were, we were competing actually. We were both doing the early show for a year. And then the evening anchor at her station left. She became the evening anchor. And then I went over to her station and became the AM anchor. And I anchored the morning show on the NBC affiliate in Portland, Maine for 30 years. Oh my God. Um, and it was number one by far that entire time, which I'm very proud to say. Wow. Um, and, um, and I did work one year in the evening with her because I finally told them that there's no reason for me to be waking up at this hour anymore. Um, so they moved me to the evenings. But at that point, I was kind of in my head. I was already done. And, uh, and I'm coming up on three years of, of retirement. I was, it was an early retirement. Right. <laughs> um, but but uh but yeah no and and um i had a lot of success i did a million things i covered some amazing stories um you know in, in that amount of time you you you're you know you 
do all kinds of things. And of course we had in Maine, we had Walker's point. So we covered a lot of uh, presidential visits and things like that as well. And, and um, you know, the nine 11 bombers came through Maine. So we covered that. Um, There's just a million great things. Um, so, and it was, it was a lot of fun. It wasn't so much fun in the end um, with the way, with the way things have changed. Um, you know, we used to be so excited when we had a story that nobody else had and we saved it for the 6 PM broadcast. Now you have a story you tweeted out just as fast as you possibly can, even if you only have a third of the story. Right. Um, it changed the dynamic in a way that us old timers weren't too happy about. Um, and, you know, long form reporting went by the wayside. Um, you know, I, 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 I sound like an old codger, mm. which is which is fine, I guess. But it just things changed to the point where I wasn't interested in being involved anymore. Um, and nor nor was she. She spent a, she stayed a year longer than I did. But she's she's out now, too. So, yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, again, you know, you mentioned that, you know, if, if there was news breaking, you had that scoop and P and then of course I, I, I wrote uh, promos uh, the topical promos to promote mm -hmm. what's coming up on the newscast. So if we had something breaking early, you know, noon, 12 or in the, in the morning, we were trying to, you know, promote that throughout the day. So people tuned in at five o'clock or six o'clock or, or 11 o'clock. But now with the way that the world is, you just tweet it out and the news is instant. I almost feel, you know, watch. And it's funny because we watch that. We watch the 10 o'clock and the 11 o'clock news in New York. Mm -hmm. But I mean, again, I don't know how many people really care anymore because they, they just put their phone on. They could read every story instantly. It's almost like, I guess I'm, I'm watching the news more for entertainment just to see what's going on. But you, to get that news, you really can get it a billion other ways you know? yeah and if you watch a newscast you you pretty much know it all already so it's right. less interesting it's less interesting to you yeah right right yeah wow it's amazing um so i think it's really it's just it's so fascinating and i appreciate um all these great stories um was there any let me just think uh, well i've got a i've, I've got a couple me, more if you got time yeah give me, give me yeah <laughs> they're so fascinating but i'd love to hear more yeah well do you 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 remember, I'm, I'm assuming it was the same when you were there. Um, do you remember the, like, if you go to NBC now, the store is this giant, you know, department store almost. But back in the day, it was a little closet in the entryway where the elevator banks were. Yeah, right. And yet, and one person could man the store. There were, you know, there were two or three different choices for T-shirts and, you know, and, and, uh, and keychains and things like that. Um, but that also was where the tour started. And uh, you, you know, when the people came in for the tour, you they would get behind stanchions by one of the elevators. And when everybody was there and it was time, you'd give them a little spiel and up we would go up into the elevator. There was a day um, and I was working in the and, and actually right beside the store was a little like a little kiosk where you were there just to answer the desk. Yeah. Yeah. Like on the left. Desk. Yeah. And the, there was one on the left and the ticket. We sold the tickets on the left and the right. and the page desk just to answer questions was on the right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where I was that day. I wasn't doing the tour, but I was there in the info booth. And um, I believe it was Sue Nall. I don't know if you know her, but she was doing the tour and she was hilarious. Uh, and, and so we noticed that there was kind of a grungy looking guy on the tour. Um, but clearly he paid to, to be on the tour. It was fine. Um, but he's standing there and every, you know, then there's people from Iowa and in South Carolina and all the other people who, you know, the tour types. 
Um, and she gives her little spiel and um, off they go up into the elevator. And all of a sudden, those of us who were down there started to smell something. And it was, are we allowed to say what I think we're allowed to say on the uh, show or not? Yeah. Uh, PP or doo-doo? I don't know. It was doo-doo. <laughs> okay. Well, it was doo-doo. We'll do the PG version. Okay. And, <laughs> and the man, the grungy man had done some poo-poo and it fell out of his pants and landed on the floor and everybody in the tour stepped in it. Oh no. And proceeded to track it through the elevator and through how many floors of NBC the oh, tour went. God. And um, and it was so funny because we you know we told security it's like this this just happened and you would have thought there was a nuclear bomb in the building you know they they cordoned off the area oh, yeah, and, okay. <laughs> so they really but, did address it yeah oh, oh yeah wow. Um, wow. It, but it but it was uh, God just bizarro really really weird wow yeah <laughs> I mean it, it definitely some of those stories uh, it, you know it's it's crazy and I just you mentioned the the store, which which um, I just want to mention the um, the if you go to NBC now, where that store was, they put stairs going yes. up to the second floor, which is so crazy. Like like before, there was a store. Now there's like a staircase where the store used to be, <laughs> which brings you up to the mezzanine level, which is I think where they take the tour, where 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 I think you may be able to go to the roof. Uh, I think the, you know the, the the roof thing, which I guess we talk about in a second. But yeah, they changed it, and now where the where the um, the uh, bank or or there used to be a, a salon is where this big uh, the NBC store is, where they sell a million um, things. A million things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is funny, uh, yeah. and it's funny because even the the um, the roof, which is where they give the um, the observation deck for mm -hmm. 30 rock when i was it was that open when you were there the observation deck i never went to the roof i went to the rainbow room but i never went up on the roof okay so yeah when i was there the roof was off was off limits it was out of business basically yeah and again i i was always so nosy and i was always and again just so fascinated to be in the building like i wanted to like like lick the floors you know like i was so <laughs> into everything and i remember i would always carry a um it's funny. I, th I always carry a pocket knife with a with a pen in it, um, I believe. And I, I was always very prepared. And I remember, you know, I would go into different elevators and this and that. But I got to one level where the roof was. And of course, it's all locked. But I remember taking my little pocket knife and sticking it in with a with a bolt was, you know, and getting in. Oh, my I, God. Really? Yeah. And I literally got into where the where the roof observatory deck was. And and it was again. It was like it was it was like same thing with with Howard Stern's studio. Um, you know, it was like everything's broken and there's all parts. And you see where they used to sell tickets. And it was it was like it was like Raise the Lost Ark. You know, you're walking through this <laughs> whole thing. And I remember going up to the roof, and now I'm looking down, and you could see the GE letters yep. that were you know that were part of the building. And again, I'm like again just being a 22 year old kid, whatever. And you're you're on the roof of this iconic building, which used to be the RCA building until GE yeah. bought it. And yeah. I'm, and I broke in and I'm walking through these different places and looking down on the building. Um, and then now they, they refurbished, I guess the entire space. And now they offer the the tours up there. 
but it was so cool that that back in the day i used to go up there and screw around you know? that's totally cool no like, i never i i wouldn't have i wouldn't have been brave enough to do that but i i did go to they did have some snl after parties at the rainbow room um yeah. and i did go to a, do, go to a few of those one one where uh david bowie and madonna were hanging out so that was kind of cool yeah and now it's funny we i talked about this earlier when i was for the 15th anniversary i i worked the show and then did you now when we had celebrities and I've talked about this in the past, but under 30 rock, you had all these tunnels that yeah. on the 50th side, if you went into the garage, that garage actually had an elevator that went up into 30 rock as well as the rainbow room. So because I was so nosy, I, after the SNL 15th anniversary, I went and put a suit on and then I took an elevator underground went to the elevator that took me up into the rainbow room, which led me out in the coat room and the, the elevator opened that I was like, yep, yeah, nothing for me today. Thank you. And I just walked into the party and hung out with probably Bowie. It was, you know, I mean, it was all, it was everybody there. Yeah. It was, I mean, again, mind blowing stuff. <laughs> it's just yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was no right. one stopping you when you're walking in the door, if you had right. your page uniform. So, so you guys still had the super polyester page uniforms, right? We did. Did because did you... I, I, I talk about those and I just think they're so funny. So it was the khaki pants and it was the blue blazer and yeah. And I, you know, we. I don't know if you were the same way, but you know, we had lockers there at in the yeah. um, in the page lounge and and those were so polyester that you could ball them up, throw them on the bottom of your locker, come in the next day, put it on, and they looked perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. I don't think I ever, you know, had that thing dry cleaned once. I'm sure it smelled really nice. Right. Um, I a, a friend of mine who's now a VP at Fox um, uh, used to his his pants didn't fit, and he would put like duct tape on his pants to oh. to to make them tight enough and to bring up the cuffs enough to to be able to, <laughs> to be able to wear them for tours or whatever job he had that day. Wow, wow. Do you, do you still have any of your? you have that uh because i i have my i have mine somewhere your uniform my uniform yeah it's in a oh, box that's... now that i'm thinking about it, i think it's now it's in my my brother in his house uh he's like a you know in his basement i have tons of boxes in there but i believe it's in that box um and i still I'm have not my sure i ever had mine i'm not sure i ever had uh, mine I've, I've i know i have the little you know my little pin uh name tag but but uh right. wow is that i mean isn't that amazing that that was now 34 years ago it's yeah like, and you still have your name tag. I mean, that's how important it is. And I literally still also have my name tag, um, which is, it's just an amazing thing. And it, and it's, it's kind of cool to hear that a lot of your stories, um, even though we were not like I was, at, I was there at 89, I guess. Um, okay. But there's still tons of overlap. It's very similar. And I guess they changed it, uh, you know, uh, to this day, it's, a, it's been a lot changed, but it's fascinating. It really oh is yeah, and and it's really interesting too. You know, I I've stayed in touch with a lot of the pages who are pages with me, and and you know a lot of them stayed at NBC actually, and and moved up really really high in the ranks, and others have gone on to do like amazing things outside. So so uh, yeah, it was a it was an amazing time. I always think of it as an extension of college, really, um, and and uh, you know I. I I'll always say it was the best job I ever had. Absolutely. I mean, we, I know we barely got paid anything. I, so I think my salary living in New York was like $12,000 a year. Yeah. Um, 
And um, so, you know, nobody can have their own place unless their parents were subsidizing them. Um, and uh, so, you know, you had roommates. I lived in various odd places over my time in New York. Um, but uh, but it was still the best best job I ever had. Absolutely. Yeah, is that and it's funny because I I mean, it's insane because all of these years later, it literally which is why um you know it's funny this podcast is you know sort of an homage to uh, a fly in the wall podcast mm -hmm. because i was an snl i worked on that show and dana carvey and david spade uh which is what me wanted to spin this off but um for such a short amount of time it was i was only there 18 months and i have more stories and mm -hmm. more i it's the best time of my life and it brings yes. it literally brings me so much joy to talk about it and then to hear your stories it's unbelievable it, it, it's just a weird it's the weirdest thing and, and and you've had so many amazing jobs and i've done you know a bunch of things and it's like it's still the best job i've ever had in my life i don't know there was there was something about walking outside at night after you finished work out into out into manhattan yeah. you know and and um and you know yeah you you could only afford one beer and a slice of pizza but you still felt like you owned manhattan you really right. did it was just you know you worked at nbc and nbc right. was king 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 then um yeah no it was it was quite a feeling it was heady it was a heady experience it really really was wow it was funny did you have blake's was blake's the blake's bar downstairs um Huh. downstairs inside downstairs, in in yeah inside of uh 30 rock there was a yeah. bar it may have been but i don't think we ever partied inside you know we went to hurley's which technically was still part of the part of the building i guess um but um no we would we would always go over near where somebody lived you okay. know so that so that if we got in trouble we could crash at their house wow. um or but uh, but yeah no I, that sounds somewhat familiar but i don't think i ever went to a bar in inside the the greater 30 rock complex right so i'll give i'll give two quick stories and then we'll wrap it up one okay. is uh hurley's which you just mentioned so hurley's was on the corner of 30 rock which is now i think my oh actually now is the pebble bar uh they they've recently changed a pebble bar but again for those listening and those that actually live that uh, people called that bar, you know, Studio 1H or yes. 1H, right? Yeah. And so even if you worked SNL, you would literally, if you had a stay and a stay was was those positions for those listening, those positions that they said, okay, from 11, from 1130 to 12, you had to stand at this door, but then, then you go on a break. So when you went on those breaks, people would go to Hurley's, they would drink, and they would literally leave their beers down at Hurley's while they spilled the audience. So if SNL finished, right. they would let the audience out. They would say, thank you for coming. Blah, blah, and they'd go back to Hurley's. So yeah. is that, did you guys yes. experience that too? Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, so that's insane. And then of course, I know that I guess probably, you know, Brokaw and all the other anchors and such. I mean, uh, the crews would always drink, you know, in between shows and do all that stuff. So yeah. that was insane. Um, and then also with with Blake's, which I guess was talking to your thing about what we could afford, every Wednesday was NBC night at Blake's. And it was, <laughs> it was unlimited food. So they would put out a buffet style food and then you'd and you could buy drinks, whatever. So every Wednesday, everyone piled into Blake's because they would eat free food and have beer. <laughs> So again, and those are the best. I mean, oh, and actually, you know what? I'll give one last. 
but you mentioned with Chuck about about him helping you with your your um your your uh, career. I we were at Blake's and um Nancy Biskupic was some I I I was their assistant, but I'd left and Chuck and Sue and Al Roker wanted to replace me, and they said, Do you know of anybody uh, who can you know re you know replace you? And I was very particular, and I'm like, no, you know, I, we need someone amazing, you know, because because again, I'm getting Sue her stockings and Chuck his lunch, you know. Right. So, a lot of the pages were asking me um, to, uh, you know, like, hey, I hear this position's open here. I position. So we were, uh -oh. at yeah, we were at Blake's, and some girl, Nancy Biskupic, I'd love to have you on the show, Nancy, um, comes up to me and she sits in front of me with her beer. And she was like, I hear there's a position open, you know, uh, you know, could you help me? And I literally said to her, if if Chuck Scarborough asks you to get his lunch, what do you do? And her answer was, you know, do you want fries with that? Right. And I said, you know, if Sue Simmons wants you to get her stockings, you know, what do you do? And she's like, you know, what color do you want? Right. So literally, I put it was when I pulled out my or I pulled out my sharp organizer. I had a sharp organizer for any <laughs> of, of these damn iPhones. And I had all, I had, I had every number and every person, every extension of every person in the building type in Chuck. Back then I had a cell phone because NBC had given me a cell phone 30 years ago that I had. Wow. Yeah. I had a pager and a cell phone. I literally called Chuck and I said, Chuck, I'm sending somebody up to, for the job. And this was after about a month or two of people wanting it. She left her beer on the table. She went upstairs. She came back 20 minutes later. She said she got the job. Yeah. And and actually, I'm very proud to say that Nancy Biskupic did a better job at, as the talent anchor than I did. And I think she's still friends with Roker and she's friends with all of them to this day. But That's I was good. very proud of that because, you know, and again, talk about paying it forward. You know, I like she really she nailed it but she was willing to do the BS. And then she wound up Roker when he opened his production company, she wound up leaving NBC to work for him personally for Al Roker uh, productions. Interesting. Uh, which yeah. is amazing. So, yeah. Anyway, this was fantastic. You're, you're, I can't thank you enough for, for being a part of this. Um, it's I been really, my pleasure. It's been really know, fun. So interesting. S such great stories. Um, really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm actually going to I look forward to listening to this again because it was so interesting. So it also will mention um, I, I think, you know, we touched on it. Uh, NBC sent out an email to all former pages for an NBC 90th reunion um, celebration. So if you're listening to this, please check your emails and if um, you want uh, the link or anything, you could contact us or just go to a page in history.tv. Uh, and there's a link in there to send me um, an email and we could send you the link because we'd love to have everybody show up to this event. We don't know if it's going to be in the West Coast or East Coast or it'll be a month long celebration. Celebration. We don't know. Um, yeah. How fun will that be? It'll be insane. And again, for those living uh, celebrities, you know, there were plenty of famous folks that were that 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 became famous, you know, from being a page. Mm -hmm. uh, I would expect them to show up as well, which would be, you know, will be fun to get 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 the group together. Well, I think it should be in New York, if you ask me. Yeah, it would be basically, in my opinion, it should be held in the Saturday Night Live studio, 8H. It's the yeah. biggest studio in the building. Um, and that would be a way for everybody to come back to, uh, 30 rock, 
get a chance to walk around the building. Um, they should they should almost rec- you know be kind of fun to again record it and have people walking through the building to sort of wait a second. I remember when I did this yeah. and this used to be this and that would be such a fun thing to bring those memories you know recorded and maybe put something out. But yeah, so if it uh, if it happens if they're if they're listening, I'm 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 going to fill out my survey soon and maybe make that suggestion. And I'm sure there'll be no drinking whatsoever at that event. Yes, no drinking. What that'll be that'll be sponsored by 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 Hurley's. Uh, Hurley's. Matter of fact, that that would be a good point. Um, it's funny they could probably have it at Hurley's, but I don't think it it wouldn't be big enough. Um, okay. but yeah, we we would definitely have to get Hurley's involved. Um, that would be that would be funny to have Hurley's set up their beer, you know, to 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 literally cater it. That would be amazing. Be great. Be wow. great. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much. It really can't thank you enough. It was amazing. And um, I really appreciate being a part of it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, David. Great. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to A Page in History. A Page in History is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhkatz.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.